This is a podcast by The Straits Times. Hello and welcome to Health Check, a podcast series by The Straits Times. I'm your host, Joyce Teo. Many people don't get enough sleep on a daily basis. It's difficult to do so when there are so many distractions in our daily lives. So to help you sleep better, we invite sleep expert Professor Michael Chi, the Director of the Centre for Sleep and Connection at the Yong Lulin School of Medicine at the National University of Singapore to come talk to us about sleep. He will elaborate on the concrete measures that one can take to improve sleep and help us tackle some of the misconceptions that people still have about sleep. So hi, Prof Chi. In the previous episode, you spoke about a balance between personal and structural measures to improve sleep, right? Why do you think this is important? Can you tell us more about it? That's a great question, Joyce. I think achieving good sleep in terms of duration, in terms of timing, in terms of regularity, is a lifestyle commitment that has to be started early and um, carried through life to experience the, you know, the benefits of, of good sleep. And this lifestyle um, commitment, there is a personal element of personal agency there, but a single well-intentioned person can only do so much. So why is that so? So let's say, going back to the COVID situation, if you are persuaded by the science and you're the only person wearing a mask and the whole cabin of aircraft, and this actually happened in the US uh, recently, said, no, you shouldn't be wearing a mask, then you're in a difficult place, right? So this is what I think is happening with uh, some people who, who want to sleep better. They believe in it, they want to do it, but they can't because of the um, general societal climate. Right, Prof, you said earlier that at a time when Singapore was a young nation, right, television broadcasting would end at midnight and thereafter there was essentially silence. But today there are endless possibilities for access to electronic media. You also mentioned that there is a culture of attending to work-related activities way past the traditional work hours. In contrast to countries where people sleep earlier, there is a culture of attending to work-related activities, either in terms of receiving calls answering emails or sending them out way past uh, the traditional work hours. Many of us can relate to the situation where receiving an email um, late into the night sets us worrying about whether to reply, how to reply, and when to reply. Not being able to wind down properly after the workday and to spend time with with a family or with some recreation is an important factor in delaying bedtime. Third is the enduring conviction, particularly amongst East Asians, that long working hours are absolutely necessary for the maintenance of productivity and gains. In fact, research has shown that sustained working hours results in a decline in vigilance that's progressive and that sleep is also very necessary and important in recharging our ability to think clearly, to remember things, and to be willing to deploy effort so that we can maintain peak performance. The persons who are socioeconomically disadvantaged, they are the ones who tend to have poorer sleep, but they're also the ones who, have, uh, who are the least enabled to do so. Persons with higher socioeconomic status generally have greater flexibility to shape their both sleep timing and duration around their social or biological preferences. So for example, um, Tech leaders, you know, if you're a developer of software, you know that um, most of these creative types, they work deep into the night and they keep really late sleep schedules. If you're senior enough or or create enough value to wake up late so that you get enough sleep. 
Because at the end of the day, there's no escaping from the fact that um, sleep is very important for cognition and uh, to recharge our ability to perform at the highest level. Right. So when it comes to students, I mean, there's been some discussion recently on starting school later, right? Say 8 a.m. or maybe 8.30 and even 9 a.m. So what are your thoughts on this? I think for Singapore, 8.30 is a sweet spot and it's, it's good for secondary school students. There is abundant evidence to support um, changing the school start time to 8.30. And this comes not from single studies. I mean, we have, we have performed our own study in Singapore, but there's also uh, multiple studies um, performed elsewhere to support, uh, to provide the scientific evidence for this. Secondly, COVID showed us that it's possible to rearrange our lives to meet the challenge at hand if it's sufficiently valued. The third point I want to bring up is that um, Taiwan recently became the first country in Asia to institute starting school later nationwide. And I think uh, this is going to have effects on the other East Asian tigers. When did they do that? Um, This was announced on March 8th uh, this year. I see, very recently. Yes. Are there any studies on the effects on sleep on students? Yeah, so I can cite the study that we uh, published uh, in Singapore in uh, 2018. And uh, there we found that there was a 45-minute later start time for secondary school students uh, resulted in a slightly over 20-minute gain uh, in time in bed uh, with an actual harvest of uh, slightly more than 10 minutes of uh, total sleep time. There was reduced sleepiness. Uh, there was a greater sense of alertness. There were lower depression scores. Over 75% of the parents um, felt that this was a good move. And the benefits in terms of uh, sleep time in bed and total sleep time were extended out to nine months. There has been a, a recent one in the US uh, which looked at primary schools, secondary schools, and they found it's secondary school students again who tend to benefit. And the benefits extended up to two years. So this is very encouraging uh, data. Is there a link between, say, um, you know, lack of sleep and bad habits like smoking, drinking, etc.? Um, that data is more for um, the social jet lag, uh, which is the difference in weekday weekend sleep. Um, the Germans have shown that people with higher social jet lag, which is uh, meaning that there's more or later sleep timing over the weekends, they they tend to to have a higher prevalence of smoking and drinking. But I think for very relevant to Singapore uh, in the present day is this um, aspect of mental health and well-being. And I'd like to point out that every almost every major psychiatric malady is associated with sleep disruption. The effects of sleep curtailment on worsening mood are some of the most robust experimental findings we've discovered in our experiments. And, and this has been so with um, other uh, sleep researchers. So sleep is, is very, very important uh, to preserve mood and also um, your, your alertness and your, your willingness to drive forward. One result that I did not mention is that if you don't get enough sleep, your willingness to deploy effort to achieve um, mental goals is weakened. Both from an effort perspective as well as mood perspective, um, sleep is, is very important. Prof, we spoke about why sufficient sleep is so important for students, right? But what about older people? If you have successive days of sleep restriction to say six and a half hours, the effects that are relevant for working adults and older persons take longer to accrue. But the uh, the data suggests that with 
chronic short sleep, there is an increased risk of diabetes, up to 37% for diabetes. For stroke and heart attacks, that risk uh, increases between 15 to 25%. And there is even a local study to show that um, the risk of colon cancer was higher with people with short sleep. Finally, the, the, uh, the risk of um, cognitive decline in many emerging studies, you show faster cognitive decline, you have higher risk of Alzheimer's disease if you um, are sleeping insufficiently. The sleep benefit of COVID uh, work from home environment um, has um, has benefited sleep, but that has eroded and that's going to erode more. And you're going to have the, uh, the negative downside of uh, sedentariness also. Uh, that is actually um, clearly damaging to health. So there are, there are many, many reasons why um, improving sleep is a prize that we can no longer ignore. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or via the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Alexa-enabled devices. And now back to our podcast episode. My prof, can we discuss some sleep habits that people have? Yeah, so short naps can certainly elevate tension and they can boost memory encoding for a bit. But, you know, you take short nap, you get a short boost. You know, the thing is that if they're very short, the, the duration of the effect is, is limited. And then clearly in the evening, you could interfere in nocturnal sleep. And that's what's happening. I think that in lieu of getting not enough of nocturnal sleep, there should be some provisions to nap in the mid-afternoon. You shouldn't nap uh, late or later in the evening, um, like a few hours before bedtime, because that's known to uh, disrupt with nocturnal sleep and cause further disruption to your sleep cycle. There are a lot of tips in town about avoiding exercise, for example, before at night, but that's not correct. Um, there's, there's now new work to suggest that you can exercise even you know, shortly before bedtime. Just don't indulge in super competitive activities that keep you uh, up, you know, not because of the exercise, but because of other reasons like you feel that, oh, I should have done better, I should have played better in a game or something like that. So what about food? You know, you can find all these articles on like, say, the best foods to eat to help you sleep better, right? Did it actually work? And, you know, is there anything that we should not eat before bed so that we can sleep better? Foods, there's, there's a lot of talk about eating foods that are rich in this or other um, substance, but uh, there's less evidence to support that. But it is a good idea not to uh, have overly heavy meals uh, in the evening because that is known to be disadvantages uh, to your metabolism. And then the, the obvious things would be to avoid coffee and surprisingly alcohol uh, before you, you go to bed. There are a number of people who believe that alcohol helps them sleep. It doesn't. Alcohol keeps you awake. It might knock you out, but you'll wake up and have difficulty sleeping. Oh, so if you, does it matter how much you drink? Like if you just drink enough for you to, you know, knock you out and then you sleep? Well, if you wear a sleep tracker, you will you will know that uh, the uh, alcohol actually elevates your heart rate and um, and it makes your sleep shallower in the in the start. So it might knock you up, but you could wake up and then your sleep is is not as good as it would be if you did not have alcohol. I mean, I think socially, this is going to be a, a challenge to stop for some people. But the short answer is that it varies from person to person. But for most people. Um, the alcohol at night, uh, especially later on, is going to hurt your sleep rather than help it. I see. So, Prof, you mentioned the food that people eat. I don't know. Sometimes they, they think they can eat certain food to fall asleep. I mean, are there any that 
um, might work to some extent? Or in, are there any supplements that people can take? Um, well, there's talk about you know foods that contain tryptophan or serotonin-rich uh, foods that will help you sleep, but there's no good empirical evidence uh, to support this. Fortunately, this is one of those fads that uh, that circulates like an urban myth. Substances that alter the impact on blood sugar may have some benefit. There's some work on that, but it's you know this is work that is ongoing. So if you have too high a sugar hit at night, that could hurt sleep. There's some preliminary evidence for that. I see. So what about the traditional stuff that people take, like chamomile tea and? Yeah. So so um, chamomile tea and herbal teas do not contain caffeine which is the key ingredient that um, keeps one awake. Some people um, will even tell you that they cannot take caffeine past, say, 6 p.m. in the evenings if they want to sleep before midnight. Right, but I thought with caffeine, well, at least I hear from some people that they get used to it, you know, at some point when they're older, and then you can sleep, even if they drink a lot of coffee. Well, there, there, is, um, there are several reasons for this. So what you said about um, adapting to the alerting effects is correct. But that also relates to uh, the enjoyment of uh, caffeine. Coffee is pleasurable to drink apart from its alerting properties. So some of that does occur, but it varies from person to person. Some people are very more sensitive or, or less sensitive to caffeine. And if you are sensitive to caffeine, then you can't take it. There are people who do not have a receptor for the, uh, the molecule that caffeine affects. And, um, and they can take caffeine without um, any problem at all. Interesting. But whether or not they get the same pleasure of, of drinking coffee is, I don't know. Then maybe not. Yeah, maybe not. <laughs> right. Thanks, Prof, for the tips today and for helping us understand the importance of sleep. Hopefully, this podcast will help some people sleep better. It's been my pleasure and I I do hope that people sleep on the advice that was given. So we've put together a playlist of podcasts on sleep and there are links in our podcast text description below. To listen to the previous episode, just go to the playlist. Don't forget to share this podcast episode with your friends and family. Well, that's a wrap for Health Check, a podcast series by The Straits Times. Thank you for listening. That was a podcast by The Straits Times. Send your feedback to podcast at sph.com.sg. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or via the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Alexa-enabled devices. For more podcasts by The Straits Times, The Business Times, and Money FM 89.3, you can also download the audio by SPH app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O.